Kia ora and welcome to this episode of the Stag Roar. This episode is brought to you by our mates at Modern Pirate, 100% carbon neutral. Modern Pirate makes an amazing range of men's grooming products. And if you're one of our Aussie listeners, then you've probably seen them in your quality barber shop. I've used the pomade in their matte clay paste to style what hair I have left. And their charcoal soap is the business. You can get 10% off every order by simply entering the code STAGROAR at checkout. That's lowercase S-T-A-G-R-O-A-R. Look good and support yet another quality Kiwi export that the Aussies are sure to claim as their own. Check them out at modernpirate.com.au. That code again is STAGROAR. Kia ora and welcome to episode 170 of the STAGROAR. This episode I'm joined back by Andy Ross, aka Living Spirit, Spirit Design, fresh out of the uh, Melbourne COVID lockdowns. We have a real good chat about what that meant mentally, I guess spiritually a little bit as well, like yeah, when you're um, isolated like that, it uh, really sort of hones into what matters and it's painful, it's not easy, um, but to come out the other side, there are a shit ton of lessons, sort of speaks to the doing hard stuff, but this of course was enforced by a global pandemic and a uh, pretty zealous premiere of, of Victoria, but seems to have worked, hopefully they continue to be case free over there in Victoria and uh, things can start to resemble something like what we've got here in New Zealand. Of course, thinking of the rest of the world as we sort of hear that Europe it goes back into sort of lockdowns and, and tightening of things in case cases rise, uh, all the goings on in the States and confusion and mixed messages and different, uh, how it affects different places, but um, yeah, it's a, it's going to be a whirlwind of a life for the next probably 10, ten years or so. Um, even words on vaccines next year is not going to mean things get back to normal next year because there's supply chain and ineffectiveness and long-term um, surveillance on that sort of stuff. So yeah, if you're uh, struggling with this, um, yeah, reach out. Um, a lot of the topics in this podcast I'd love to be corrected on if, if you know anything more or anything like that so always open to hearing your opinion and um, yeah without further ado hope you really enjoy this conversation from Andy we, we sort of speak quite openly and it was wicked to talk in person again with been messaging a little bit on Instagram but um, as he talks about he's sort of been away from social media a bit more which is pretty cool and and so haven't been messaging to the same extent so this was super fun and I really enjoyed it hope you do too cheers bloody fantastic uh Andy Ross back from lockdown from not isolation what is it quarantine not even quarantine just don't go anywhere Andy (laughs) everything (laughs) don't do anything (laughs) you're Melbourne don't no, do world's it. longest lockdown. World, <laughs> world champions. <laughs> nice. And you disobeyed the rules. Wouldn't expect anything less. 
Uh, I did it semi-legally, <laughs> but I definitely disobeyed rules for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't I, I was lucky just the profession that I'm in allowed for me to be self-employed sole trader. So that falls underneath the guidelines of essential services. Hmm. And uh, I was quite lucky to have the friends that I have who live on properties and needed to employ me to work on their places. So that allowed a certain amount of freedom to go and spend time there and work as it were. Um, but also inside of that, I didn't necessarily want to take the piss. Yeah. Um, but that's what you said when, when, you and, were, when, when we were talking during that first round, you're like, no, I don't want to take the piss. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was by the looks of it, it, it. I think that was like seven months ago, bro. <laughs> Something like that. It was the start of the first round, which was months ago. I think last episode I was on, I, th I looked up just before it was like one thirty, and that was like, like your episode 130. So and so March. that was in the March. Yeah, April. Yeah, it was the it was the beginning of April. So I did a little like day to day calendar calculator in Google, and it said seven months and and four days, Jesus. something like that. <laughs> so it's been a long. It's it's been long. Yeah. And so, like, what was the mental shift? Like, oh, I don't blame anyone that has a mental shift after they're like, right, out, we've done it. Back to normal. Ah, uh, now we're going back to lockdown. <laughs> For what you it was incredible. Six months. <laughs> it was incredible. Yeah, six months. Well, oh no, because it was you know it was. I think it was the first or the second week of the first lockdown that we went into that we spoke, and I kind of had gotten out just before that. Yeah. And then the the original, we're just going into six weeks turned into ten, and then there was a two week period where we could go and do stuff and then all of a sudden another six weeks turned into almost another 12 weeks so it's been yeah it's been an interesting shift but the i went through a bit of a crisis on the when we went into stage four or the second stage of our lockdown um yeah i freaked out I, like my computer of course everything just comes down around you all at once my computer blew up so not only my ability to be in the bush and do all of that stuff, including surfing and anything. I mean, we had a five kilometer radius from our house that we were allowed to go and that was it. But the computer blew up the first day that that was announced. And I was just like, well, that's my, my like art is my outlet. And then computers, computer stores were like, kind of like, oh, we don't know if we're allowed to be open or not. And so I didn't have any way of having any sort of outlet to put pen to paper or whatever you might call it. Cause that's my release. Archery is my release. Hunting is my release and making artwork is as well. So yeah, I went into full, I lost my shit for a little while there and I was just lucky that I've got an amazing friend who lives up the road and he caught me coming back from a walk. I was like, oh, I've got to get out of the house and go for a walk and try and readjust where my mind is at because I was in panic mode of like, holy crap, I'm not going to deal with this if I can't get my computer sorted. And he just lovely, lovely human just was like, oh, 
he, he's a he an amazing guy invented a game and like a computer game and now he's made himself quite wealthy from that game so he's a technology wizard on the spectrum of being awesome but um he was like oh, i've got a brand new computer upstairs that i haven't even touched so we went up to his place which is you know 100 meters down the road and um he's like oh what programs do you need what would you like on it blah 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 and just uploaded all the programs that i needed to it and then within 45 minutes i had a brand new computer that nobody had ever used before sitting in front of me on the day that mine broke down <laughs> so that was amazing just support from mates it's so unbelievable so that was like a loner in the time to for me to kind of figure out what I needed from a Macintosh to change over to PC and um, cause you can just get so much more grunt out of a PC for the price point. So I had my dad who's a legit computer nerd genius <laughs> do a whole bunch of research and he gave me, he gave me a, uh, an Excel spreadsheet nice. <laughs> of every part, every part number, all of the pricing breakdowns of like, he could do this, he could do this, he could do this. This is what an Apple costs. This is blah, blah, blah. And then, so I ended up shuffling that off to my friend up the road who'd given me the computer. And I was like, what is, you know, what about this option and this option and sent that off to a couple of different people. And there was a group between my dad and two of my mates. Cause I don't know anything about it. I'm just, I just make art. I don't know about what runs computers. And so between the three of them, they figured out what I needed. And I put an order into my dad who, who ended up finding all those parts and all the bits and bobs and he got it built and sent it down. But it took a long time to get, you know, new screens and keyboards and everything up and running. And then, you know, me figure out I've been so used to dealing with Macintosh for the last 10 years. It's like learning a new language. So it's taken a, a fair while to kind of get back into the point where I can actually ramp up and make art again. Um, but it's now that I've got it all up and running, it's kind of that double edged sword of don't really want to sit in front of a computer for hours and hours on end. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was gonna it's ask. pretty good. I feel pretty blessed though. It is that. Yeah. Yeah. My body went into shutdown, bro. Like proper. Like I've got, the, like a pinch sciatic nerve, um, from sitting down so much from the first lockdown and just making art. And then I've got two bulging discs in my L4 and L5 that are pushing against that sciatic nerve, and I've got a pinch nerve in the back of my neck here that had that because I'd been sitting in a bad place um, that had crunched my neck and um, I was getting these like proper brain fogs and really intense headaches. And so I was just like, Oh, I've got to go and sort myself out and went and had CT scans and x-rays and, you know, physio and all that sort of stuff and realized that I needed to spend a ridiculous amount of money on a new chair and, all of those things, I made a I made a standing table for my desk so I wasn't sitting down. And the pin sciatica got so bad that I couldn't even exercise. I couldn't even go for my daily walks because it would um, the nerve was pinching so badly that when I would walk more than a few hundred meters, the underneath of my feet would just go numb and turn into this pain, and I couldn't actually feel my toes. I couldn't feel the bottom of my foot. So I was doing so much damage 
And then, of course, I'm not allowed to go anywhere or do anything. So my only outlet is the computer. And then that was just like re reaffirming all of that bad damage. And um, my mate who lent me the computer, Spencer, from up the road, he, um, yeah, he's a research guru and he's got the most expensive shit ever and was like, <laughs> oh, I've just done an order. I've just done an order for these Australian-made best ergonomic chairs that you can get. Yeah. and. Um, yeah, so, you know, in, in a week's time, it, he rocked up here and unleashed me this amazing beast of a chair that, that's, that's so fantastic and on top of, you know, multiple physio visits and then massages. And I uh, got one of those, um, like a yoga swing, yeah, an inversion swing. So I've just been, I put that up in the garage and I've just been hanging from that upside down like a bat for... 15 minutes a day, you know, in little, little sessions or do, you know, five minutes and then another five and then another five and try and push it. But, um, that alone has been the greatest help that I've, that I've had and now I can kind of walk, walk normally and get back into my normal routine of walking in the creeks and being in the bush. And so it was a real challenge mentally to get through all of that stuff as well as not being allowed to go anywhere. And, then when I could go somewhere, I couldn't actually do what I wanted to do because I couldn't walk. And mm. um, yeah, it was really, it was, it, was a, it was a head fuck to put it lightly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. And how much do you think that was from skateboarding? <laughs> and had you landed on your neck or your head or anything like that? Surely you landed on your ass a few times. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Like like that many broken bones, broken coccyx, broken fucking everything. And you know the physio or the osteo actually the first time he was like, "What do you reckon?" Oh, this is bit, he could he could tell by pressing on different spots how bad that trauma is and when that trauma is. He can tell by the amount of force that he gives and the screams that people give when he's treating them of like the depth of that scream gives him an appreciation of how long ago that trauma has been there. Uh -huh. um, so he was like, what do you reckon it's from? And I was just like, probably 30 years of skateboarding. And he was <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. That's exactly what it is. So yeah, it's, I mean, he said, he said to me, I can't fix it. I can only manage it. And unless you get an operation on those bulging discs, it's, nothing that he can really do except manage the pain. And I don't want to take that. I, I'm like, no way. So yeah, the yoga swing has been amazing. Yeah. So the decompression has been happening a lot. Eh? Yeah. Unbelievably. So I'm very surprised at how good it is. I had one of those inversion tables before, you know, the ones where yeah, you the lie down and you strap <laughs> your, yeah, the teeter tables. I had one of those a few years ago and I used it religiously for about six months and then, of course, the you get to the point where you write yourself and you feel better and that just sits in your garage doing nothing and then when you move house, you get rid of it and then all of a sudden it all comes back. But the yoga swing, the inversion swings, actually allow you full movement and those teeter tables, the inversion tables, just allow you to sit in a static position. Yep. So to be able to move and stretch and really pull on pull that stuff out has been... Oh, I swear by anyone with a bad back, just spend 50 bucks and get one. How would you describe this, the swing? Is it kind of like that acro type kind of um, 
Yeah, it's Unisco. Acta Yoga, so it's got like um like a it's made out of parachute fabric. Yeah. Um, it's almost like a miniature hammock. Yeah. Um, just small, smaller and tighter instead of being out wide. You could probably use a hammock actually. Um, <laughs> and then it's got a bunch of different handles. Like everyone that I, everyone that I've like been like, oh, I've got one of these. They're like, oh, you got one of those sex swings. <laughs> and, um, so I looked up online. And, and I was like looking at these sex swings and um, <laughs> the work. yoga swings are like 50 bucks. And for exactly the same thing in a different marketplace, in a different genre, is like 150 to $200. And I'm like, oh, these guys are just ripping people off with exactly the same thing. So, yeah, quite, it's quite hilarious. A lot well, of mates come around and they're like, ah, oh, you got your sex swing, girl. <laughs> a lot of money to be made in PTSM, it appears. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, had you, had you done any yoga or Pilates or anything like that lately, or it's just become a necessity now? Oh, uh, not. It, yeah, I hadn't done it for years. Like, I was really religious about it when I lived in Brunswick Heads. There, I was, you know. I wasn't working, so I was up at the crack of dawn and down to check the surf and, you know, do 20 to 30 minutes of the stretching before I would go surfing. And, um, yeah, but now I'm back on the train of waking up, doing stretching, going out, hanging upside down, checking in with myself before I, you know, get up to do anything and trying to be a bit more militant about not just hopping on a computer or hopping on social media straight away. Just <laughs> check in, have a bit of a breather with what I want to accomplish that day. And yeah, so it's been good. Yeah. And are you still wrapping uh, poo pipes for, for, um, for buildings or you leaving that sit? Yeah, I'm still on the pipes. I'm still on the, <laughs> yeah, no, well, we got, I got kicked out of a few job sites because of stage four restrictions. And um, I've only just started back up at work a few weeks ago a rural out at Shepparton, which is two hours drive from Melbourne. So yeah, it's, it's great, you know, living away from home allowance and get to write everything off on tax and really, really, really good coin. So it's kind of just kicked that financial thing back into gear, but it's, I was worried it was going to be very full on and just be straight back into it like a maniac, but I've <laughs> managed to pull one of these gigs where it's been week on, week off, week on, week off. And I think that it'll go through till about, halfway through December like that. So it's been quite lovely to actually have a bit of free time now that they've opened up to actually go and do stuff legally and be, you know, available to go back into the bush and do that sort of stuff. So yeah, I'm, I feel pretty grateful for that. And a lot of my friends are just out of control, busy works, just ramped up. Everything's open. They've had this amazing time of being locked down, which is not a holiday. And so it's been this interesting dynamic of people, being allowed out, but being allowed out and just going straight back into work. Mm. Um, so, I mean, for me, I've I've booked in a holiday to go to Western Australia as soon as my work finishes. Mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, get the hell out of Victoria and go and spend a decent amount of time over there. I was going to drive, but now South Australia's got all these magical new cases and... Um, so the reality of me getting a permit to drive through South Australia to get to WA um, is a logistical nightmare, but I can fly into WA 
and I can, at the moment, it's two weeks mandatory quarantining once I yeah. land in WA. But I can do that at a friend on a friend's property, which is great. They allow that. But if Victoria gets to 28 days of no new cases, then WA will allow me to go or everyone to go into WA and not go into quarantine because we've had so many days in a row of zero cases. So there's all these logistics that come into play of how can I get out and how can I do stuff? So it just looks like at the moment I'll fly into WA and then spend a month or six weeks there. So I don't know how long, but I'll actually drive back with a mate. So I will get to see the bits of country that I've never, you know, really spent any time in before, which I'm really looking forward to. And I've just told the boss, like, look, I'm not coming back until halfway through February. So mm. good, good luck. Good luck. With that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tablets. <laughs> Tablets. Totally. <laughs> Mate, so it's like, obviously you mentioned South Australia's caught the, caught the vid, but, um, is Victoria kind of like Australia's dirty little little corner of the world at the moment and no one wants to let you across the border? Like the borders have been drawn. Yeah, yeah no one wants to know about us. Yeah, <laughs> nobody. It's interesting. Because, I mean, all I've wanted to do also is go to New Zealand. Oh, mate. Like ever since, you know, seven months ago. Like, and there's so many amazing people that like through Instagram now and through your connections and the people that you've had on, and I've listened to them and then they've listened to me on, you know, on the stag raw that I've got these connections across New Zealand where people are like, for sure, I'll sort you out. Or if you're going to be here, I'll put you in touch with this person or that person, which has been really lovely. And I've just been hanging out and like, there's this whole, there's no way that a Victorian's <laughs> going to get into New Zealand in the next little while. So <laughs> yeah, it's disappointing and exciting as well for, you know, the, the future of when we can go and, what we can do but yeah it's been a frustrating situation of trying to make plans and trying to get out of victoria and everything just sort of gets turned pear-shaped so <laughs> do you yeah. still have mate and even family stuff yeah you go oh just family stuff like you know i haven't seen my parents all year a lot of people are in the same boat like um so my mum is is like, as soon as the Victorian border is open, I'm coming to see you. And I'm of the attitude of like, that's fantastic, mum, but I've been stuck here. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanna I wanna leave. So I'm gonna have to postpone seeing seeing old mumsies for a little while because I'm like, I'm out of here. See you later. Where's mum so, and dad? Yeah. Uh, they're both in Queensland. Oh, they don't want you. They don't yeah. want anyone. <laughs> no, Queensland doesn't want anyone. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Do you still have mates? But even this, I mean, yeah, I've still got mates up there. And I, I mean, I thought I can go and do a road trip. We'll be like, we're allowed into New South Wales if we've got permit and all those sorts of things. It's just such a logistical <laughs> head park. And I, and, I, and I feel for people across the board because everybody's in the same boat. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's super bizarro land. I think that, I mean, because nobody's going overseas, like nobody's allowed to go overseas, that everywhere over the Christmas holidays is just going to be absolutely out of control with people. And Queensland's National Park said that when they opened up their national 
the national parks website for people to allow, allow them back into the bush and to book campsites in the national park, they had a hundred thousand more inquiries in a day than they'd had in their entire summer last year. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, look out if you go into the bush, it's going to be an influx of Victorians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is, is the high country open in Victoria again now? Yeah, we're allowed, we're allowed to go into rural Victoria now, which only kind of changed last week. And um, the the campsites, I went a couple of weeks ago down to a favourite spot in the sort of down near Wilson's Prom area, a really beautiful place and called in. I backpacked in with a friend to a little secret beach that I've got the week before everything reopened. Um, we had work permits to do work down there. Um, so we decided that we'd hike into a little secret beach and, um, spend some time well away from people. And when we went through the national park campsite, it, they'd closed because rural Victoria was open, but metropolitan Melbourne wasn't allowed to go into rural, but rural was allowed to go camping. But then there were, it was one in every three campsites was open and the rest was, were roped off. So they haven't had the staff to be able to do the cleaning rosters on a lot of those things and keep the cleanliness or the whatever the COVID health restrictions are for running those national parks. Um, and I'm not sure if that's changed in the last week or, or not or whether so you can get on the national parks website to book and it looks like the entire thing's booked out, but mm. it's because they've kind of closed off two thirds of the campgrounds and yeah, so... I'm not sure if that's changed in the last week, but it was a, it was a weird thing to go and look at and yeah. So, <clears throat> sorry, what's it like in, in Metro now that like things are opened up? What sort of um, rules are in place? Like you've got to mask up or what's the vibe? Yeah, mask up, 1.5 metres, not more than 10 people at a house um, from, not allowed more than 10 people in a house and they're only allowed to be from two separate houses which doesn't, yeah, it's really weird. And then you don't have to have a mask if you're eating or drinking at a venue. You don't have to have to have a mask if you're in a park, eating, drinking, smoking. So I went down to Edinburgh Gardens. is like this massive park in Melbourne that just is, you know, when summer hits, it's one of those parks that's just full of people. So the first weekend when that opened there, you know, there were thousands and thousands of people in there beautiful beautiful spring day and a police a police car at every single footpath entrance around that park that had three police attached to it and those police were walking around the park non-stop but not actually fining anybody or telling anybody off because everybody had a drink in their hand or everybody had a cigarette or a or food or whatever so it was the first time in probably 8 months that I'd seen people socialising without masks. I didn't see a single mask in the park. So it was, yeah, it was really lovely to see that. But I think that the, also the mental headspace of a lot of people, me included, is you've been locked up by yourself or with your direct family members or flatmates, that it becomes an intimate, everything, every person that you have around your house or everywhere you go is a very intimate connection of one-on-one -on -one or, you know, two or three people. So then you put yourself into an environment where there's 5,000 people in a park <laughs> that 
it's almost overwhelming. It's like, it, it's just this duality of, am I ready to socialize with a bunch of people who are, who are probably in a similar mind state, but everybody's having a good time. So it's really lovely to see that good time. But at the same time, talking to my mates, they're all like, I don't know if I'm ready for this, you know, like I'm so content and yeah, which is like that. And speaking to my cancer, it's what's that? You know, when hostage victims get attached to their. Yeah. um, Stockholm syndrome. I've gone mental blank. Stockholm syndrome. That there's, it's not Stockholm syndrome, but a similar thing to where people have become so used to, that small intimate thing that you just, a lot of people that I know are like, oh, I'm not ready to go out. I'm, you know, I'm not ready to do these things. I'm comfortable going out by myself or doing stuff with a partner or whatever that the, that the house and the grounds and the anxieties of all those things are really real. And mm. I noticed in myself that when I went to this little beach and had a sneaky camp that we camped out there for three days and, the reality that I was able to go to the bush or go to mates properties here and there. um, That was amazing for my soul and for my whole being to just be out in the bush and, um, but going camping for a few days on the beach, I realized that there were so many emotions that I'd pushed down, Mm -hmm. like pushed down into my being of, of, of like, well, I've got it pretty good. I don't need to go and be at the beach or I don't need to do that because everybody else has got it way worse. Yes. So you're actually forcing down emotion into the pit of your stomach and kind of ignoring it because everybody else is in the same boat and everybody else you know, has it worse or they don't have the ability to do these things. And it was a real eye-opener to go there and to sit there and to realize what sitting in the sun and looking at nature actually does and means to me. And the realization of months and months and months of forcing those ideas down is is so damaging, like so, Mm. so damaging. Yeah. So you brought up the um, counselor, how much we in touch with them and was that, did that have to be by zoom or you could have a clinic session? (laughs) Well, it was meant to be by Zoom. Yeah. But um, because we're mates, we were like, in person, it would be better and let's have a hug. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shit, you. No, I was like, it was, it was so brief for us. But, like, I remember when my brother came up afterwards and we went out, went out for dinner and it was, you're, you're right, it was like, it was in a restaurant and the table's there and he's sitting at the table and it's kind of like to give your brother a hug was so bizarre and strange. <laughs> and then like, yeah. and then I just can't even imagine how much more insular you'd be after all that time then. Holy fuck. <laughs> yeah. And, and just the weird way that people's brains work as well, like at the park, Edinburgh Gardens, beautiful day, everyone drinking beer and, you know, smoking a couple of joints here and there. And a few <laughs> of my mates, you know, on a little bit of cheeky psychedelics on the side or whatever it is. And then, you know, like police walking around and then being all sus and doing illegal, illegal things. And then I'm like, I'm going home, give us a hug. And they're like, I can't hug you. We're not allowed to hug. And I'm like, 
You've been sitting here smoking <laughs> weed in the park in front of a cop, which is totally illegal. And you've taken a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but you won't give me a hug because of what it looks like on the outside to people who are around. I'm like, come on, guys. Like, what's going on? <laughs> fucking hug. It's so bizarre. So, yeah, it's really, it's just interesting, you know, where people's mindsets are at. And I just laughed and I gave me mate the finger and he was like, oh, you know, I love you. And I was like, you're an idiot. And I walked away. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, mate, so, so when we talked the first time, you were in the process of getting that sort of um, post, you brought up psychedelics there, post sort of, experiential psychedelic experiential reintegration system like that with psychologists and, and um and mental skills professionals um that must have taken a big big hit at the moment but then at the same time there's a whole bunch of research coming through from the states that's reinforcing what, what you guys were trying to set up <laughs> yeah and i had a lot of um, a lot of people that put their hand up for that sort of stuff were very skeptical about the law and the maneuvering around that. Yeah. And so there's a few people that are, that I've either been aware of in Australia or have been friends with here and there that actually got together with a bunch of people and created a very similar thing. That was a lot, they had a lot more money and a lot more backing, um, which is super wonderful. And they're called Mind Medicine Australia. Um, and they've actually been able to put through the legal channels of clinical trials in Australia and training facilitators in the MAPS technique um, a few of those guys have actually, you know, when we were allowed to travel before that had gone and done all that stuff. And yeah, it's just a beautiful program there. They've got free webinars all the time since COVID and they're really at the forefront of Australia. They've set up a bunch of different places for people to go and train and all of those things. So yeah, it was, a, it was one of those things that the people that I knew that were directly available for me to utilize kind of pulled, pulled back a little bit because of the legalities. And so I've kind of pulled back on that as well through time constraints and COVID and a whole bunch of stuff. But it's really nice to see that group forming and the coming together of those things. And yeah, it's, it's really lovely. I, I think that also um, my ability to not have not be able to delegate responsibility well to other people as well and take a whole bunch of responsibility on board for a whole bunch of different things is a challenging thing for me to learn how to do. So it's really lovely to see people who are so open about it and can talk to the government and do all those things that are really, really needed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. So for you, is that quite a weight off your shoulders then? Yeah, it is a weight off my shoulders. At the, at the same time as me kicking myself for being like, fuck, you should have done that earlier. At the <laughs> same time as being like, like so many, it's, there's so many little boxes that get ticked inside of that, of like self-worth and judgment and all of those things. And oh, I, should, I could have done this or I could have done that. But the reality of it is that like this, this movement, this group of people are fucking kicking goals, mate. And that's what it's all about. It's about people getting help and, 
um, people who are fully trained to be able to facilitate that stuff. And you know, I tune in every now and again to their webinars, or, and um, yeah, it's good information. It's just good to keep that's what I'm into, and yeah, it's good. So the Aussie guys are doing the webinars, the Mind Medicine. People. Yeah, right. Mind Medicine Australia. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's fantastic. And before before COVID, they were doing. Um, you know, they would hire out a movie theatre and they would play Trip of Compassion and the Paul Stamets Mushroom movies and then they would have group panel discussion after that so people could interact with the um, their practitioners and ask them questions and things like that. And then, so, yeah, it's, it's quite brilliant. No, that's, that's amazing because hey, that, that's probably what um, sort of halted Tim Ferriss's progress prior to COVID, he was getting like Rick Dublin and there's another lady as well that um, she she was one of the facilitators for the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. They had a really good discussion. I think it was a panel discussion that they recorded and released. Yeah. And they were talking about the, you know, the realities of what you've got to try and integrate. And I think Tim Ferriss um, spoke about he, I don't know what the organisation's called, but basically he worked or volunteered as a sitter at Burning Man for people that come into the medical team. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he was just sort of saying... Yeah, it's called the Zendo Project. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just, just how, like like you say, it's you can see all, all these avenues around the world, and but, but then um, you can find yourself out of your depth with your passion. And, and, and what, what did you say about taking too much thing, too, too much responsibility on? And so to see, and you know, it's sometimes hard to appease to authority, but when someone with authority comes along and like you say, can have a conversation with the government, you kind of go, yeah, that's, that's how, how I wanted this to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. And I mean, financially, it's a big, it's a big thing as well to be able to do all that stuff and have the time to write papers and applications and, yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge, huge task. So, um, so you said they linked up with maps. Was was there some sort of plan to bring people out to Australia like that, or? I'm not really sure. I think that they want to just be able to set up a very similar training modality for therapists. Mm -hmm. So, I th so, I mean, even. In, in Australia, like most countries, the training training a facilitator to do that stuff is such a challenging thing to legally be able to even provide a service where you're like, hey, we're going to train you to be a psychedelic integration practitioner when it's totally illegal in the country to have, possess, take any of that stuff. So it's pretty brave to be able to do that. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch it all unfold. Is, is there a hub for that in Australia? Like where, where do people sort of become psychotherapists in Australia? Um, the, it's not called the Phoenix. There's a bunch of different ways that you can become a psychotherapist. There's a bunch of different tertiary places that offer that as training. Um, I'm actually seeing someone who's doing that at the moment, like is deep in school mm. and um, to train to be a psychotherapist. But that's 
all that stuff is online at the moment. There's not a real hub for it, so to speak. Mm. Um, but it's, as far as what Mind Medicine Australia are doing and offering the fact that there's a broad spectrum between a counsellor, a transpersonal healer, a psychotherapist, a psychologist, and, and, and that Psycho- spectrum of and then psychiatry. Yeah. yeah, and all, and then uh, so there's different levels of tertiary education that allow you to be a certain person inside of that genre of stuff. And um, like the healthcare system in general, probably in New Zealand as well as Australia, you know, you've got doctors, naturopaths, trainees, medicine, all of these different facilitations of healthcare providers and and workers. And some of those people aren't allowed to do different things and some of them don't get government um, kickback or support or even when you go for your, in Australia, we've got a 10 free mental health care plan where you can go to your doctor and get signed up to get 10 free mental health care, um, you know, hour visits with, with a psychologist or a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. but you can't get one for a, a transpersonal counsellor or a counsellor or a psychotherapist. They have to be registered through HICAPS. They have to be mm-hmm. all of these different things. So the the way that that facilitation takes place and the spectrum of people that Mind Medicine Australia are allowing to come in to do all of that training is quite large, mm-hmm. um, which is really lovely to see, you know. So obviously different people will respond differently to different counseling modalities and methods and practitioners so it's nice to see a, a really broad spectrum of that being made available mm. <clears throat> i don't know if you you caught up that we had a referendum over here on cannabis and interestingly um new zealand was like 60 percent in favor of the end of life bill but only about 40 percent in favor of legalizing cannabis <laughs> did you did you wow. catch up with that i did not know that no yeah so no in, i didn't see that in another sort of bizarre, oh, not bizarre, but interesting take on it is Helen Clark, who used to be Prime Minister of New Zealand. Um, uh, she was the first elected female Prime Minister in New Zealand and now works with um, maybe World Health Organization or UN or something like that. But um, she's very like supportive of, of cannabis legalization and you know, there's a bit of a labour icon, and mm. people people sort of talk about the current prime minister Jacinda Ardern and then you know the second, the second um, Helen Clark and things like that. But all the same, despite this landslide victory for the Labour government in New Zealand, on the flip side, we as a country aren't prepared to explore the legalities of, of cannabis or the or the um, ben- benefits and and address all the issues that, that come with it. Um, how do you sort of feel the vibe is in, in Australia? Is it going to be a state level thing or do you think there's a whole country you're going to dive into it? Um, I really don't know. I, I really couldn't say like for me, The extraction and the medicinal side of cannabis in Australia, it would be a great thing if it were to be opened up, but because the prices of getting yeah. CBD oil 
is through the roof. How much is it in Australia? Because I, I think New Zealand a month supply is like 400 bucks. But then my, uh, my friend was saying there's a bit of a loophole that you can bring in a month's supply, which is not, which is unspecified um, to New Zealand for, your, for personal use. So, but Yeah, take a litre a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually know. I just know that like people that I associate with or am around have contacts for so-called CBD oil mm. made here in Australia. But a lot of that is, a lot of that has a massive THC content <laughs> and, it, and it will get you, it will get you stoned. Yeah. And so there's no regulation inside of that because it's totally illegal. So then you get people who are selling a vial of it for 150 bucks and you get people who are selling it for 250 bucks and they're just taking the piss with people who are actually sick or actually got, you know, medical conditions that they could utilize it for if it were legal. Yeah, they got but, epilepsy um, I mean, and end up getting stoned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or like even, my old partner's, my old partner's dad has Parkinson's. Yeah, it's, it's severe Parkinson's, and like he's a doctor, and or well, he's a retired doctor, but it took probably eight months to a year for him to get around the fact that it was illegal and there were medical benefits to it, especially for Parkinson's. Um, and even talk to his kids about getting some. And because he's a 75, 78-year-old man, like, and, a, and an ex-doctor, his mindset of like, I can't do this, this is illegal, and what if I get caught? Or what if my 40-year-old children go out and get me this stuff and they get arrested for having it him having that live with that in his consciousness and and the help that it could give him is it's absolutely crazy and i mean he's just been living in this world for the however long he's been a doctor of it does nothing it's illegal it's a dangerous it's a dangerous thing so yeah i think perspective and um just time probably as well like time to for people to realize the benefits of it and I, I think I think when it comes to that now in both countries, there there is on and off label use for that. Like I know I investigated with our compounding pharmacist in New Zealand what the vibe is. Um, it's on label for MS patients, and even a few MS patients that I talk to, the neurologist won't give it to them, which is a bit rough. Um, or the or the GP won't won't do it for them. But then, on yeah. the flip, but then on the flip side, the compounding pharmacist said that there's plenty of people writing off-label prescriptions. Um, and I know of a specialist outside of MS here in, in Hawke's Bay that's writing it for chronic pain as well, which is one of the on-label things in Australia. Um, I remember um, Greg Emerson telling us so, four or five on-label things you could prescribe. CBD oil for, but then it's like got to be compounded. And like we say, like I think in New Zealand, it's 400 bucks for 30 days. And if anyone wants to correct me on that, I'd love to hear from them. With a, with an under 5% THC. Yeah. 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 The under 5% THC content to it. And yeah. I, I know that, I mean, I think that 
probably a year ago. I don't know what the story is now, but I think a year ago there were only two doctors in the whole of Victoria who could actually prescribe marijuana or CBD. Yeah. And then you've got where do, where do you get it? You know, they can write a script or whatever, and then it's like, well, where do I, I can't just go to a chemist and get it. So I think the irony in New Zealand as well, like I think there's the oh, down the road there's a large scale hemp plantation. And um, I think some seed is being sent to Canada to be made in CBD oil and then sent back. <laughs> but there, there was yeah. a there was yeah, an IPO. crazy environmental fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah. There was an IPO um, for a company in Christchurch uh, a few weeks back. I don't know if they're still running or still going to be able to do this the scaled up production of CBD or not with without that referendum going through, but. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully we're going to have some CBD made in New Zealand. And again, if, if someone can correct me on that, that it's already the case, I'd, I'd love to hear. Because um, like especially in our job and even myself as a concussion, post-concussion person, I've just ordered a big bunch of high-potency fish oil because I'm finding, again, eye twitches and tripping over my words every now and again. And that's probably partly fatigue from the stupid running I'm doing. But yeah, just... It just keeps sneaking up on me every now and again. I'm yeah. far out. That was that was three years ago. I got got that head knock. Yeah, it's so annoying. And and yeah, like at work, I'll see people. Yeah, absolutely. Just are, are suffering from concussion, and you're just like, oh, I wish I could help. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's it's yeah, it's painful really. Government yeah. bureaucracy, and, <laughs> and I suppose people's people's perception as well, and. I mean, it all. We're going through a period in time where, like, you know, trying to make sense of anything, <laughs> like what we've spoken about before, like the whole sense sense making routine of, yeah, man. you know, are they watching the news? Are they on the internet? What side? What side of politics are they into? Which determines what news outlets they're looking at, and then what information they're having come in, and the ability for people to remove themselves to look at both sides of the fence is you know, being eroded all the time through social media and all of those things. So, uh, I mean, the ability to make sense of it for a regular person of what's real and what's not in so many different cross-platform things is just thrown out the window. So, I mean, how's anyone meant to get to the bottom line of the reality of a lot of things at the moment? Yeah, and like what um, you introduced me to uh, River Wisdom and, you know, that's hours and hours of discussions of not really any answers like awesome discussions and, and awesome considerations and things but it's like encouraging you to think it's not it's not telling you what to think it's encouraging you to think and then you listen to like Lex Friedman and, and Brett Weinstein and, and um, Malcolm Gladwell and stuff like that and you just go holy holy cow the world is, is a bit of a mess and then yeah New Zealand at the moment it's like you flick on Flick on the stuff and the headlines about oh the warehouse is no longer stocking Pete Evans books. You're like for God's sake, <laughs> who, who gives a shit? Wow. Well, <laughs> 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 oh, his supplements with his face on the front of it. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's a bizarre time, isn't it? Yeah, they're like so they're, bizarre. You see, you see, the, like even. Me as like a massive sports and rugby fan, I like look at it and I'm like, yeah, I really like this. But is this just a distraction? Like, 
are they is this just being funded and sponsored and stuff oh no funded and put on the television to sell me beer and get me to bet and take out a loan and buy that ute? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, th I think it's been quite phenomenal to sit back and watch the general public inside of COVID here um, actually go a lot of people have gone down in their usage of social media and uh, television and things like that because they just they were so absorbed into it that you just get so over overwhelmed with all of that stuff that you actually have to step away from it and go and do other stuff. Mm. I think that stage four was really impressive for me to watch a whole bunch of my mates remove themselves from all the time Instagram feeds. They didn't have it. They weren't doing anything exciting, so that it was not like a constant barrage of all of their mates doing cool shit. So <laughs> there's also a like, well, what can you do if you're not allowed more than five kilometers from your own house? And, and so the, uh, the understanding of like, oh, I'm really literally wasting my time on this stuff. It's got nothing good to feed me back. It has been a great thing to watch inside my, my peer group. And even for me, the, this lovely, lovely lady that I've, I've been hanging out with and she's very proactive of leaving her phone on silent or leaving her phone on do not disturb. And, you know, I don't have a TV in my house and uh, she doesn't have one at her place either. So uh, there's a whole household there that I, would, I was lucky enough to go and hang out with as five acre acre block semi backs onto the bushland and because I could I was allowed to go and see an intimate partner that was my that was one of my escape mechanisms was to go to her place and hang out and be able to walk straight into the bush um, and so that just having somebody to reflect my usage mm -hmm. who doesn't use it and and also my uh, like expectation of what response time is to messages or phone calls or social media because it's like oh you can see somebody on there you send them a message you see that they've seen it or whatever it is or just sending a text message to your maid and expecting a response and mm. i wouldn't get any response from her for three days <laughs> and i'd be like ah fuck like what's going on but to have that as a reflection to look at my own usage and to look at the way that my phone operates and she would take the piss out of me because I still had my notifications on a whole <laughs> bunch of different things. Yeah. And she was like, she, she'd say to me, if you just set up a timer on your phone to set your clock off every half an hour to make yourself look better. So that it makes you look like you've got heaps of mates. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, fuck. Like, that's not how it is, but it, it removes me from that, you know, just wanting to lock in with someone and spend time with someone and not have any of that external distraction has been such a lovely thing to be a part of and to, you know, to watch my mates pull back and watch a whole bunch of people sort of pull back with the reality of too much time on screen or too much time on social media. It's been great. Heck yeah, man. And like, um, <clears throat> you know, talking about not having notifications on and, and another one that like is still override, but putting the time limiter on your apps and every time you're in an app 
15 minutes later, it says, right, time's up. And you're like, oh, shit, yeah. that's 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, just like that. Just yeah. like that. And it's just like... Yeah, and I was noticing... I was noticing that I'd get up, make my coffee, do my thing, coffee kicks in, I've got to go and take a shit. So I would sit on the toilet and it's like I'm sitting on the toilet at seven o'clock in the morning straight on Instagram and then I could see all of my mates who were on there and I'm like, well, this is interesting, you're not working, yeah. but you're on Instagram at seven o'clock in the morning. Oh, I was too. <laughs> Dude, that's, yeah. a, that's, that's a good idea, eh? Like how, much, how many of us are on the shit are right that's that's what i was joking with my brother yesterday like he's got an instagram but it, it is just, he doesn't contribute to it and, it's, and you know he says he's a he's a consumer of it not a contributor and i said so what it's just good for sitting on the shitter he's like yeah pretty much <laughs> for sure for sure well you can hear people on job sites and they're sitting on a big job site it's got you know 100 toilets in the toilet bog or whatever maybe not that many but yeah just on it all the time it's yeah, I don't know. I've backed <laughs> off dramatically, which is the the music. The music um, pipes up accidentally, but like um, Morgan Penn, uh, training six dollars that we had on here, she had a good post the other day about you know stop taking your phone to the shitter, and that's that's exactly right because doing the shit is very parasympathetic, and if you're um, on social media, you're, you're holding your breath, you're you know, you're not moving things along, you're, you're stuffing up your poo. <laughs> For sure. And if you're sitting in a, you know, like an adrenaline situation because it, social media creates those fight or flight responses and you're locking into that thing. So you're sitting in an adrenal situation, which is probably like, when, when was the last time anyone was getting chased by a tiger or whatever and they want to take a shit? It's like... <laughs> built into our little gene pool of fight or flight response and so it might make it harder for people to go to the toilet who knows yeah well that um i tell you what i, I tell you what i did notice though like i did notice i did notice myself f feeling like these these I mean, they wouldn't be small insecurities, but they're definitely insecurities they wouldn't be large insecurities, but they're definitely insecurities of like um, I will swear again, but I've said to a couple of people now that, that like me doing archery and me going hunting and me going surfing and me doing all these things, I thought defined who I was. Mm -hmm. And so I would, I called it Andy going to do sick cunt shit. So... <laughs> If I if I wasn't going to do sick cunt shit, then I wasn't maybe a sick cunt. And like, what do I have to offer inside of the relationships that I have if I'm not feeling like I'm allowed to go and do that stuff, which I thought defined me as a human and at, inside of my friendship groups as the guy that would always be in the bush and doing cool stuff and I would come back and have cool stories and all of those things. So I had a real issue inside of, specifically inside of the last lockdown that we just went through of what defines me and what do I have to offer inside of the relationships that I've got with partners or friends or 
um, you know, just best mates and all of those things. So it was a, it was a real eye opener of like, well, I'm not posting to social media and I'm not getting responses. And then, you know, not having a computer up and running for a, for a bit there where I could actually just produce the way that I wanted to produce and still trying to find workflows. And um, I had real issues with it. I, I was like, mm. what have I got to offer? Like, what am I offering the world? What am I offering myself? What am I not giving myself? What am I, how come I feel insecure when I hang out with somebody and I don't have cool stories to tell or I don't have whatever. Mm. And so the, just the learning to listen to myself and the, the reflections that I've had of a few amazing humans of like, come on, bro, like you're a sick cunt. doesn't matter if you're going to do sick cunt shit. It doesn't matter. Like the ability for you to hold space or talk or offer vulnerabilities or, you know, just talk to other people. And, you know, I've been through tumultuous times, so I've got a lot to offer in, in that respect when it comes to friendship groups and things like that. But it was, it was very, very challenging to come par come around a corner of that sort of stuff and be like, Oh wow. Like that does not define who I am. It's a part of my life and I enjoy it, but it's not the defining factor of who I am as a human. And yeah, I've got a couple of amazing friends to really thank for that. Like, journey of little discovery and talking those things through and being able to be a little bit vulnerable and even voice those things is a was a really challenging time for me to get through a few weeks there of that sort of stuff so it's it's bloody amazing like it's probably a little bit of a defense mechanism that's going on in my head i'm with these runs at the moment i'm getting these these voices of like what the fuck are you doing and then also um thinking about when it's over then what the fuck are you going to do after that and like you say like part part of what keeps me in it is is the accountability of saying i did it paying the money to enter um all the time i've put in but at the same time i'm getting this real loud voice like this is so dumb like what what are you doing like what does it matter if you don't do it like those voices are coming in and then then you're like look at your motivations of, of why you do stuff and um, like like you say is my identity the actual act of doing cool stuff or if it, if it's just left to just me and like you say you're sitting there in space that you're not able to do anything then who am I actually and so I guess that's that's kind of one of the, the positive things of running and runners is that you've got so much freaking time in your own head um that you have these to think yeah these long trains of thought (laughs) but at the same time it's it taps into a bit of what you said there and i suppose that's you know that's what the the monks and shit find out when what do they say try find transcendence or enlightenment or whatever yeah again there's probably open-ended questions never ending (laughs) For sure, and the ability to talk yourself out of a certain thing because you become judge, jury, and executioner in your own mind of like, ah, fuck it, or I'm not good enough, or why am I doing this? And for the reality of those struggles, struggle being a key and and setting yourself a goal and promising yourself that you're going to do a certain thing and you're only going to beat yourself up and become more judge, jury, and executioner in your own (laughs) stuff if you do pull the pin on something that you've said that you're going to do. So it just creates this cyclic mental head fuckery to a degree where you're like 
oh, I've got to do it. But there is a level, I suppose, for what you're doing of accountability because you do make stuff public of what you're doing. And so then there's like a, a separated level of accountability that you can remove from yourself because you've got other people that are in your direct sphere of influence that are expecting a certain thing and blah, 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 which will then in turn, once you go through your own mental head spaces and you do get to the end of that thing, to be able to pat yourself on the back. And I think that people that don't externalise or give any accountability over to, it's not giving accountability over to anybody else, but like having a group or having a community where you're doing that or having publicly voice that you're going to do a certain thing makes you stand up a bit stronger and go and do that yeah and, 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 and that's form, which at the end of it yeah i've been gaming that on purpose and that's what the the circle of savage hashtag that yeah. is, is about it's like i'm doing like this is helping me that that um gamifying uh accountability this is helping me do it like i know when i set out to do this i wanted to do this but right now this I'm, I'm in the worst bit of it right now and it's freaking hard and and it's really that's the other interesting thing is like um and joe rogan calls it the inner bitch like it's getting real loud eh? <laughs> for sure for sure running's hard but like it's gets like it's good to see that you're doing it and i'm proud of you for doing it because it's like I would look at something like that and I'd be like, no way. I'm, there's no way. <laughs> so it's good. It's really good. And sometimes I like, you know, just those positive little things of like fucking keep hammering or get after it or whatever. And like just, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty funny, but that stuff does work and it is potent. And, yeah. you know, like there's so many people out there that are like, get after it. So roll, blah, blah, blah. And the Gogginses and everything. And Gorgonses. I look at those guys and I'm like, oh, you're God. a fucking idiot. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I'm so stoked that there's people out there in the world that are just that hard up to do it. Like, yeah. It's inspiring. Gogan's video after he came back from his injury and he's just like, I heard all you fucking people talking about me that I've broken see this about here i'm getting one foot up through the other i was just like oh shit this guy's lost it and it's awesome because you know what you are you're a bunch of pussies and i've got it (laughs) (laughs) it's hilarious very good (laughs) mate um has your computer's like up and running now have you had any inspiration at the moment like it must be a weird (laughs) weird thing trying to get inspiration for your work right now like yeah it's extremely hard it's extremely hard and it goes hand in hand with my artwork flow goes hand in hand with internal happiness a lot of the time or um you know even internal internal turmoil but um Mm -hmm. i think with my back and the issues that i've had with my back that the reality of sitting in front of a computer for hours and hours at a time has not been very appealing because i know that it'll just do my back in Mm. so it's been a double-edged sword of really wanting to lock in and do stuff, but not wanting to spend the time in front of screen, not wanting to do my back in. Also, you know, having that reflection of my friend and not having screen time at her house and all those different things have led to a, to a point of, I mean, I'm ebb and flow, you know, like, like in and out of the tide with my art, it comes in big flows and then it goes away for a little while and then it comes back and um, yeah, just not 
beating myself up for not producing mm. and and being okay with i mean the uh, in the first lockdown that we had i produced more than 40 pieces of artwork wow. <laughs> which was like that's a lot of art to produce so then this second stage of lockdowns that we've been through I've, I've only produced maybe two pieces or three pieces max and they're kind of rehashes of stuff that i've done before but just to remove that internal judgment of you know the artwork doesn't define me the the other things and don't define me and it's okay to take a break from that and to to sit and do other things or to develop different different stuff or to um, it's also been one of the things is going from Mac to PC and upgrading all of these programs. Cause my Macintosh was so old that I wouldn't, I didn't have the latest version of Photoshop. I didn't have the latest version of all of these different 3d programs and stuff. And now it's a, it's been a learning process of because I lost everything on my Mac, the hard drive cooked itself. The whole thing cooked itself. So I didn't have access to years worth of files and um, palettes and brushes and textures and backgrounds and all of these things that I would utilize to make my workflow work very well and efficiently that I had to rebuild all of those stocks of brushes, palettes, textures, all of those things. So I felt like I haven't produced as far as, making something that I feel comfortable putting online, but the building of the brushes and the building of the palettes and the building of the textures and the backgrounds and the, all of these different things has been a process that I've been doing. So it's been a judgment in my mind of like, well, I don't have anything to show, but the, the building of the processes around the workflow, when the workflow comes now, I'll feel a little bit more comfortable in the speed and the way that I can get it done because I'm not having to stop and make a certain brush and save that brush or make a certain pattern or texture. It's all been, I've been taking my time to rebuild all those stocks and rebuild all those things so that I can have a smooth flow, but the, the brain gets in the way and the brain, the brain goes, you're not producing, you're not making, you're not whatever. But the reality of it is that I am and that I have been, but because I haven't been able to show really what I've got and that's judge, jury and executioner again of hmm. the fuck you doing, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and like um, externally, what's, what's the community like? Like is like Jack was on pretty good flow with large scale murals. And so how's he, how's he been feeling? Have you been touching? Jack people? absolutely smashed it. Jack is a fucking hero. Like <laughs> he spent lockdown. He, he stopped drinking <laughs> and he just, his, his studio got locked down. There were five people that got found with COVID from inside of his studio and they ended up like changing the locks and half the artists couldn't get their artworks out of there. They had to deep clean the whole studio. The studio is massive. One of Melbourne's biggest art studios. It's, it's an amazing place. And one of my friends, like a few people that I know that run that place and Jack was lucky enough to get all of his stuff out of there and all of his paints and stuff out of there. And he did a whole new series of work with, that is the best series that he's ever done. And I'm so like just absolutely over the moon with what he's mentally and physically. And, you know, he's got stuff in shows in Sydney and he's 
got a show somewhere else. So he's been able to maneuver around it and actually do stuff. And um, but now he's back doing these large scale murals for a private corporation that he's just working flat out. And he's like, I don't feel like I've had a break, you know. Like, so, yeah, <laughs> he was also posted today. I'm so stoked for him. He's, yeah. So yeah, it's it's really awesome. But you know this. It's been interesting to watch a whole bunch of artists in that same position, especially my graffiti mates who are, you know, just robbed of work straight away because they're not allowed to be outside and doing anything. So and they're all just out of control, busy now. So yeah, they had the face masks sussed. <laughs> yeah, they've definitely got the best face masks that you can buy. Those dudes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, look, looking back on your your post like early days with your uh, big three-year mask on, shooting your bow, like, what, what does it feel like to look back at that image? <laughs> it's fucking hilarious, because it's, it's still so relevant. It's, yeah, it's, it, it, it's quite interesting to, we're, we're just, nobody knows what's, what the fuck's gonna happen. Who knows? <laughs> Might be back to that next winter. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and like we might be fine over here, but yeah, like hey, if, if, if things stay as they are at the moment, like it, the economy, oh, man, you can't say that, but like it, it'll it'll be good good enough <laughs> to to be staying here. You know, we, we yeah, we're not really losing anything too much. <laughs> it's just it's just. That, for that, sure, but you're losing a massive tourist dollar there for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, international travel. It's yeah. it's like it's like the 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 system of the world economy is really evident right now, and it's like that's why there's been so much growth everywhere, and so now it's kind of like well, I guess we're going back to thirty years ago where it's local economy, and so. Yeah. Imagine the scale of GDP in that period of time. Like same with like Australia, like a couple of mining booms in that period of time. Like how much growth has that as a country made, and then to go back to a localized economy again, it's just like wow. Like the the cogs yeah. the cogs don't turn anymore. <laughs> no, that's right, and they'll take a little while to reboot as well because it seems like you know northern hemisphere is going back into lockdown and southern hemisphere is coming out but there's still no cross-country travel allowed in between those and so yeah, yeah it's, i suppose uh, i suppose as you've probably heard a few horror stories or situations inside of the hunting community of people who you know run guided hunts and things like that for international people that are probably struggling to a certain degree and yeah well i, I was on a farming webinar i think early on or maybe it was even in one of the the, the farming newspapers and they had a place in the middle of the north island that sort of said that because hunting wasn't happening there was 30 percent of their business their farming business straight away just gone and um now yesterday i got an email from from the deer industry about the venison markets with europe going back into lockdown and it's basically they they managed to sell a whole bunch of stuff from September and October, but now they don't know what they're going to do with with um, with the produce. So 
they basically kind of said talk to your to your um meat meat company and they'll sort of negotiate maybe a price or suggest that you hold on to your animals a bit longer thankfully like last year was a drought or some the start of the year was a drought but this year has been quite good so there's plenty of grass around um, driving through the north island there's plenty of people cutting feed and things like that so hopefully that continues but again yeah. like that world economy that world um you know where people have gone from eating within the home to eating out in restaurants and that restaurant trade selling you know a cut for um 50 bucks instead of you going to the you know, supermarket or, or growing yourself the meat you know just the scale of of the economy is just so big on a world global scale and now to go back to well where are we gonna yeah where are we gonna move all this this produce to you know and um hawks bay with that for apple. sure i mean it's a, it's evident here sorry hawks it's bay evident it's sorry, hawks sorry, bay sorry, it's yeah 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 so we've like i've got a local game butcher at the markets yeah and uh, you know you know if i didn't have venison without proper game it's not you know come out of a farm they've got you know proper wild boar and the whole oh. bit and you know done legally and a lot of it is cross-border from new south wales into victoria for the pigs and um but the venison prices the samba prices had gone from 25 bucks a backstrap 35 bucks for a, you know a quite a solid backstrap and now they're up over 75 to 80 dollars for a backstrap because they can't get they can't get meat and yeah. um the the wild boar has disappeared off their off their plates, you know, off their shelves, the, the uh, crocodile and the the emu from emu farms has pretty much disappeared off their off their shelves as well because they can't get that that meat in from wherever that wherever because hunters weren't allowed to go hunting and so also the like there's a couple of different things inside of our communities that are, are very sad and the um, I think I was talking to Ross from High Caliber Cleaning yeah products a few weeks ago and he was saying that um he's got mates who are hound hunters and you know they've got six to eight dogs or whatever but however many dogs they've got but because they're city dwellers inside a metro they've got these dogs that they'll take out every weekend into the bush and they would kill you know five deer between a posse of dudes and that you know that would feed the dogs yeah and that is a that is a cyclic thing for those guys to be able to produce meat not only for their friends, but for their dogs. And then the dogs, you know, so not being able to go into the bush for months and months and months at a time. And then the price of trying to feed their dogs and then not wanting to feed them anything but venison because that's their job. And mm. so it has a flow on effect of people that have had to put dogs down because oh, they man. can't afford to feed those dogs, which then creates... Uh, a, a mental headspace in those in those in those hound crews of losing dogs and losing their mates and losing their partners that they're in the bush with and so that creates a, a detrimental effect inside of that community of people who are unable to, to feed those things they're not financially viable to do that they're not in a mental headspace to be in the bush with their mates and with their dogs and away from you know from, from whatever and it creates more turmoil turmoil inside their family but then that has a flow on effect into our environment that nobody has really spoken about mm. is the fact that 
in Victoria, the, the Samba population will be out of control. Like there's not teams of hound hunters going in there and smashing deer at a rate of five per team across the entirety of Victoria and New South Wales because they're banned from doing that for such a long period of time. So there's these flow-on effects of like the reality of going out into the bush into places that I've been for a while that I haven't been to for six months. And now when I walk back in there the other day, it's like, holy crap, the environmental damage that these deer have done over the last six months of nobody chasing them and the breeding that they will have done and everything mm. else will have an environmental impact that might go on for a long period of time just because there haven't been people in the bush knocking these animals. And it's a, what's that doing down the line to everything, you know, through everything. And that's just one little thing. Like, yeah. And people who might look at that and go, Oh, but deer only breed at one period of time, not Samba. <laughs> Samba breed all year round. Not Samba, they're on a cyclic rotation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's gonna be an interesting dynamic of you know, in the in the big Alpine National Park and inside of Wilson's Prom and inside of all of these places that didn't have tourists, they didn't have people coming through there. So when I did actually go out to just underneath the high country for a couple of weeks inside of stage four to do work on a mate's property. I found that there was more roadkill of mm. larger scale animals than usual and, and there was less traffic on the road. So that kind of said to me that on the big highways like the Hume Highway, that seeing more roadkill out there, I think that the movement of animals inside of those times where there's not people moving around so much is like changed the dynamic inside of that as well of where they're going and how they're getting places and the movements and the availability to not have people to interrupt that 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 flow of where they want to go so Mate, yeah. even 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 over here i heard a story of um <clears throat> a pilot uh, he was a triple seven pilot so he was still working but doing um career runs and he lives in Hawke's bay so he's driving up to auckland because he couldn't get a domestic flight up there anymore and on the road between uh, Hawke's Bay and the Central Plateau, Topol, Napier Topol Road, he was seeing like pigs and, and seeker on the side of the road and red deer on the side of the road. And so like even in the space of the six weeks we had level four, that exactly what you say, that, that free rangeness that oh there's not there's not humans going around there, um, was having an effect here. And even um, when I went out in start of June. I noticed a, a massive effect that the deer had been running around on the face right near the track and there, there was partly drought, some rain, yeah. and then also, yeah, deer tracks and rubbings everywhere. And I was like, man, that's, that's pretty, pretty crazy how just like people walking through would have an effect on. Like, it's, it's, it's amazing. But then on the flip side, when I went in August... Yeah, absolutely. Just putting scent on the ground. Just Yeah, yeah. When I went in August, I found lots of... Um, what they'd usually eat so i was like well yeah that, that's interesting as well yeah yeah absolutely and i found that getting up over the last little while to you know either go for walk, walks early in the morning or go to work or whatever it's been that that like melbourne's got quite a large urban fox population <laughs> yeah. and so during the um you know we weren't allowed more than five kilometers from the house and we had a 8 p.m curfew so you know 
I would get up and go to work at six o'clock in the morning and I saw a bunch more foxes just getting about being brazen and cheeky in those times because there's just not people around. Yeah. So it's quite fun seeing a fox run through the city. I quite like it. I'm like, get it, tiger. <laughs> <laughs> destroying, destroying people's rubbish bins, people like they do in the UK. Well, yeah, well, hopefully, they're smashing, hopefully they're smashing some cats as well while they're at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear God. Yeah, is there many wild wildcats in Victoria? Oh, I would say there's plenty, but they're they're a wily adversary. <laughs> I, I've only seen cats when I'm driving. I've never seen a cat when I'm stalking deer or when I'm hunting rabbits or hunting foxes or anything like that. I've not seen a cat ever. Um, they're onto it. They're bloody onto it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, they're so. destro- destroyers. And um, when you went back to the archery club, what, what was that like, bro? Was there anyone else there? Or? Um, there wasn't to start with, but it's one of those things where there are only allowed 10 people and then you have oh. to book. And um, to, yeah, it, it's an interesting scenario with our archery club because it's, like, it's the largest club in Victoria. We have an amazing uh, outdoor range. It's both, you know, a flat out to 100 metres, a whole bunch of targets. But we have a field course down the back which runs down a gully system that's donated to us through the council or through somebody. But it's, it's, ma- it's massive. It's, you know, eight 900 metres long down this gully with, you know, 60 targets set up through there and, a golf course that it backs onto on one side and a fly fishing club that it backs onto on another and where the council regulations are that we're not allowed to go down into that gully to shoot where there's nobody (laughs) and it's fresh air, but the golf course is open on one side for those guys to do whatever they want. And the fly fishing is open on the other side and they stock that the pond outside of the fly fishing club, it's a public pond. They stock that with trout every year just before the school holidays. So there's 300 people because nobody's been allowed to go out. As soon as they let everyone out, there are hundreds of people on this lake and we're not even allowed to walk down the back and smash a couple of rabbits down on the field course. And so, yeah, the rabbits are out of control down there. The foxes are out of control. And we're not allowed to go down there and shoot. We're only allowed to shoot up the top. And then we're not allowed in the clubhouse. It's so bizarre, bro. It's just so bizarre. (laughs) So, yeah. That's the thing, eh? The contradiction continues. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, we'll see. You know, I think Victoria is a day... 19 of no new cases. So apparently once it hits 28 days of no new cases, then all back to normal. So only a few to go. Good luck, mate. Well, as we said the other day, we're missing doing this, Um, especially now you're not on social media. Yeah, me too. We have less less chats via the messenger. That's right. That's right. But um, this has been... But you're out of the cupboard now. You're out of the cupboard and you've got a nice backdrop and you've got a plant in there and you (laughs) don't look like you've been locked away in a dungeon. It's great. No, well, the the reason for that is I I think that some of the cutouts were because of the cupboard. (laughs) I I think it was messing with the internet. Oh, really? 
yeah, so I decided to give it a try in the in the open air of my bedroom, and um, I think it's worked. So, yeah, goodbye to the cat. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> good on you. I'll just need to get thirty million like Joe Rogan and build a red red capsule, <laughs> the red pill, the red pill studio. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Take the red pill for you. Be right. Yeah, build me one too. If you get that sort of money. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet man, um, this has been wicked. Bloody good. And um, I'll press stop. And uh, yeah, always. They want to find you. They can check out the show notes. Living Spirit Design. Thanks, mate. <laughs> awesome.